David versus Goliath. We've all heard the story before in either a sermon or Sunday school, or even if you haven't in one of those two, you've probably heard of a sports event or something like that referred to as a David and Goliath situation. Uh, it refers to, it's an underdog story, right? David's the small guy going up against the big guy. Um, we, a lot of times, though, when we hear this story taught in church, uh, in a sermon or in Sunday school, uh, we usually, it's usually about facing our giants uh, or putting ourselves in David's shoes, right? Uh, the, the lesson usually goes something like, uh, everybody has some kind of giant in their life, and in order to face that giant, uh, we need to have faith in God and confront our giants head on. That's a nice thought. We all look at ourselves as the hero of our own story. And we want to put ourselves in the position of the hero of this story. The problem is, is that's not what this passage is about. Instead, this passage is about a battle, one battle, with one giant, and how God provided a champion to fight that battle and conquer that giant for us. Our part in this story is rather small. Our part in this story is the Israelites who were terrified of this giant and watched as their champion fought that battle on their behalf. So when we look at this story this morning, put yourselves in their shoes. You are there on the sidelines watching your champion fight for you. That's what this story is about. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for fighting that battle for us uh, that we will get into. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as we move on this morning and dive into your word, that you keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing that we need to look at this morning is the threat of Goliath. The threat of Goliath. Uh, and the first thing I want us to see is how this battle is kind of set up. Uh, the field of battle here. Um, now, in ancient times, uh, it was quite common for uh, in a battle to have two sides and they would stare each other down and sometimes they would send each out a champion to go and fight on their behalf. And whoever won that one fight won the war. That was how they avoided uh, a lot of bloodshed. So you have your best guy fight their best guy and whoever wins, that's who wins the war. And that's what's happening here. And so uh, we'll read in verses 1 through 3, uh, it's, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says... Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, uh, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephesdamon. Uh, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And drew up uh, in uh, sorry and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, 
And Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And so if you look at this David and Goliath story, I, I kept thinking of like a boxing match in my head, right? You have the stare down, right? At the, you know, before anything, they, they stare each other down, right? They're trying to intimidate each other. That's what's happening here. So these two sides are lining up their armies on a mountain on either side of this valley. And they're, you know, showing who has the bigger army, right? And so they're staring each other down. They're trying to intimidate each other here. But then the Philistines pull out a, a trick, their, their secret weapon, right? This man, Goliath. Uh, Goliath, merely being there at this battle, presented a threat to the Israelites. See, before Goliath even opened his mouth, uh, Goliath was a physical threat. And so let's look in verses 4 through 7 about the physical threat of Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 7 says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he, had a bron and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. And so uh, just like any boxing match or MMA fight, you have the tail of the tank, right? Where, which is uh, when they line up all the stats of the people that are going to be fighting. So this is what this is happening here with Goliath. This is Goliath's stats. And so since this is in you know, old Bible times, let's translate that into our English today. And so let's look at Goliath's stats right now. So Goliath stands roughly nine feet, nine inches tall. That's about, what he, about how tall he is. So a cubit is roughly uh, one and a half feet. So uh, six cubits in a span is roughly nine, nine. And so Goliath is a giant of a man. Uh, his mail alone, his armor, just the, just the top part of his armor, uh, weighed about 125 pounds. That's really heavy. Uh, and his spear, right? It says, I had to look this one up because I, I was confused at what it was talking about here. But it says the staff, uh, sorry, yeah, the, the, the staff of his spear, so the actual wood part of his spear, was like a weaver's beam. And so I had to look this up. Uh, a weaver's beam was a rod that was used in a loom. So when they were weaving cloth together, uh, they had these big, huge contraptions called a loom, and the weaver's beam was the top part of that. And so it had to be the thickest, strongest part of that uh, in, in order to hold those tapestries up that they were weaving. Now, this weaver's beam was normally around two inches thick. And so... I don't know if you've ever seen a pipe or anything that's two inches thick before, but that's, that's really thick. That's, that's big. 
this, was, this spear was likely 10 feet long uh, to match up to that. And the spearhead was about 16 pounds, 11 ounces. So the weapon that this guy is using is heavy and huge and just to match the, the size of the man that he is. He was also well-armed. He had full armor. He had a spear and a javelin. Those are two different things. Uh, a javelin was for throwing. A spear was uh, a normally a thrusting weapon. He had a sword and he had a shield, which another man bore for him. So another man carried his shield into battle for him so that he only had to pick it up when he needed it. So he was staying fresh, basically. And so this man was huge. He was well-armed. He was ready for battle. And it says later that he was a man of war from his youth. So as a child, he was a man of war. That, that's a big deal. So not only is he a big guy, he's also experienced and he knows what he's doing. He's not like Shaq uh, shooting free throws. Okay? Now, I don't know if you're you know, basketball fans or not, or maybe a little bit too young to get that reference, but Shaq is a huge bas or was a huge basketball player and couldn't make a free throw to save his life, okay? So uh, Goliath is not that. Goliath is skilled and large, okay? So what it's getting at here is fighting this guy is an impossible task. Uh, it, it's not just improbable, it's impossible for any normal person to beat him. Then on top of that, on top of that, he issues this challenge here, Goliath's challenge in the following verses. 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 11, uh, this is Goliath's uh, issue. So he comes out in the middle of the field and he starts shouting at the Israelites. And this is what he says. It says, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, uh, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all, the, uh, all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Uh, there's an interesting point here to point out. So his first words were, were, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And then he says, And you the servants of Saul. And if you remember back uh, last week when we talked about Saul, remember Saul was head and shoulders above all of the Israelites. Saul was a big man. And the whole point of having a king was they want, the Israelites wanted this king to fight their battles for them. So there's always a bigger guy, right? 
And that's what it's showing here. So Goliath knew who Saul was. Goliath was the bigger guy. And Saul and all of Israel were afraid of him. And likely for good reason. You know, you, you see this big, huge guy. This guy is death walking, right? He's armed to the teeth. He's huge. He knows what he's doing. And he also brings slavery if he wins. He wanted to make Israel their servants. That's, uh, he wanted to make them slaves. But then here comes David. David, the champion of Israel. So let's talk about David's stats for a minute. In verses 12 to 15 of the same chapter, uh, we see that David is a shepherd and the youngest of his brothers. Let's go ahead and read. Now David was the son of that Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, uh, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul uh, to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Uh, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. So he, he's explaining multiple times. The three oldest went and followed Saul. But David was the youngest, right? Uh, so his three older brothers were already going into war. Uh, and then it says, But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David is a shepherd. Okay, He's going to feed the sheep. And he's going back and forth. We'll read later that his father sends him to bring food uh, to his brothers. So David is the youngest. It's implied that he's also the smallest. Uh, later in this chapter, we see that David is still just a boy at this time. And Saul says this. First uh, Samuel 17, 33, it, it says, And Saul said to David, You were not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. So he's just a kid. And he, a man of war from his youth. And so you have David, who's a child, go, about to go up against a guy who's been a man of war from being a child, right? So <laughs> it's pretty, the odds are stacked against him. But let's also see that David is God's chosen one. We went over this again last week. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13 says, So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Remember, he was a pretty boy. Uh, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. 
So David is God's chosen one for this. He's the chosen one to lead Israel. And so Goliath, um, you know, little flash forward, sorry, spoiler alert, uh, Goliath loses. Uh, he loses his head. Uh, he just doesn't know it yet, all right? So Goliath has already lost this battle because guess what? No matter how small David is, God's with him. I also want us to notice in verses 16 through 22 that David is sent by his father, Jesse. Right? David is sent by his father here. Uh, remember, David, uh, he, I just said that he go, was to go back and forth and bring food to his brothers. Well, his father sent him to do that. Uh, it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 16, it says, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the, of the supply keeper, uh, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And so that was uh, a long passage there just to say one point. David was sent by his father okay so the only reason why david was there was because he was sent by his father and then day we see that david is not impressed by goliath uh he's not fearful of goliath but he's just not impressed okay so first when david's showing up he hears goliath uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 23 through 24, it says, Then has he talked with them. There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and, and were dreadfully afraid. And so David is showing up to the scene, as Goliath is issuing his challenge for 40 days, and David hears this. So he, he overhears this as he's going to see his brothers. And everybody else is scared. It says they were dreadfully afraid. That's not just scared, folks. That's terrified. Okay? They were dreadfully afraid. And then, well, David has some thoughts about Goliath. And we're about to see this. David actually kind of gets angry about this. Why is everybody so scared, right? Weren't we supposed to be fighting for God? Isn't God on our side? Why are you guys so scared? So David's thoughts about Goliath. 
It says in 1 Samuel 17, 25 through 26, it says, So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, uh, the king, will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, this is where, where it gets kind of funny. So David, remember, David's a youth at this time. So pretty much everybody else is thinking probably, oh, David's just talking a big game here. Uh, but David says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, circumcision at that time was a way of being set apart, right? And so when he's saying uh, this uncircumcised Philistine... This guy is not acting on behalf of God. Why is he defying the armies of God? David's not scared. He's the only one that's not scared. David knows who's in charge. You know, so like I said, David's just a boy, and so probably everybody around him is thinking, well, you know, this kid is just talking a big game. In fact, he's kind of annoying and he's insulting us right now. And his brothers confront him, but David is steadfast when confronted by his brothers. People are going to start to take him seriously because of the way he reacts to his brothers. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 27 through 31, it says, And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. So in response to David's question, you know, what, what, what am I going to get if I do this, basically? Uh, it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom ha have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So his brothers are upset. So his brothers are cowards, okay? And their younger brother, their youngest brother, is now coming here and insulting them. He's like, why are you guys so scared? I'll take this guy on, right? He's scrappy, okay? It says, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. Oh, sorry, I, I skipped a verse. It says, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not cause? And so what David's question here is, is, is there not cause for me to be here as well, right? Is there not cause for me to be saying these things? It says, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. So he's answering the other people that are around. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now they're going to go tell Saul what he said. It says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So David 
is not just talking a big game. He means it. And he is the only one of the Israelites, this boy, who is willing even to go up against Goliath. And so they go and report this to Saul. The next part of this chapter is when David faces Goliath. This is verses 32 through 52. But first let's look at the prelude to the battle, right? Verses 32 through 40. I have to turn there because I didn't actually add that to my outline. Just a moment. Verses 32 through 40 in chapter 17, it says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Oh, no, I did add it. I apologize. <laughs> uh, the prelude to battle, uh, this is verses 32 through 40. Um, and the first part of this is when David accepts the challenge here. So verses 32 through 37 uh, this is David actually accepting this challenge when he's taken before Saul. It says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, this verse that we said before, You were not able to go against this Phil Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. And then this is David's reply to Saul. This is kind of awesome here. Uh, again, imagine a kid saying this. Okay. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So imagine again a kid saying, Well, while I was tending sheep, I killed a lion and a bear. I've killed both of them. So this big guy is, you know, going to be basically like one of them. But again, a kid killing a lion or a bear. Now, I think it's awesome here that David doesn't totally take credit for this either. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion or the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And so David gives credit back to God. It's a painful reminder uh, to Saul of him not being fit to lead anymore and that having passed on to someone else. The Lord was with David. The Lord was no longer with Saul. You notice also that every time David refers to Israel, he says the armies of the living God, right? David's giving credit where credit is due. 
And he's giving ownership where ownership is due, right? This is God's army. Saul fails to see that. So then these next verses, just the next couple verses, David prepares for battle. So David has to get ready for this fight. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40 says, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So David, uh, he didn't take the armor and the weapons that Saul gave him. Remember, Saul was the people's king, right? David, well, and also it says that it was his armor, right? So Saul gave him his own armor, okay? So it was likely way too big. Because remember, Saul was a giant man too, uh, just not as big as Goliath. But David did not know how to use any of that stuff. It takes skill, actually, to move around in armor. Uh, it takes skill to use a sword. David did not have those skills. That's what he means by, I have not tested them. He hasn't practiced at all. So he goes back to the tools that God had already prepared him with his staff from being a shepherd and his sling so this these were things that david already had it's important to note that these are the tools that god gave him god had prepared him already for this battle so he wasn't going to use some new things that he had not tested he went back to what he knew what he killed the mine with what he killed the bear with the things that david had already practiced. And then it says, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, this is probably, this next part is probably one of my favorite parts of this passage. And just like any good boxing match, right? Uh, whenever you see the press conference beforehand, uh, there's the trash talk, right? So they, they go back and forth and they have words for one another. And they try to, again, intimidate each other. And we see here in this trash talk, we see Goliath's disdain for David in verses 41 through 44. It says, So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. <laughs> this is funny. When the, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. So Goliath is insulted by the champion that the Israelites have chosen. So he's like, yeah, get, send me out your best. And then Goliath sees this boy walking out in front of him. And so it says he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Remember, a pretty boy, right? Uh, and so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So Goliath is really upset uh, by this. Goliath is, is infuriated by the mere sight of David, which is probably actually a good thing for David, because when you're that angry, you don't fight right. Uh, if you watch any uh, martial arts or boxing or anything, you see when the, what the, the whole goal of getting inside the other guy's head is to make them not fight properly just because they're so upset about this fight. So David hasn't even done anything yet, but my merely being there, Goliath is upset. Uh, he's upset that they didn't send out someone like Saul to come and fight. Someone big and strong that uh, he would get glory from defeating. Because to a guy like Goliath, there was no glory in defeating a boy, right? It's, it, he would probably would have gotten made fun of afterwards uh, for beating David if he won. So there was no glory in it for him. That's what he wanted. He wanted to make a show of defeating their best. But again, Goliath didn't know what he was getting into, Okay. Because he wasn't just fighting David, he was fighting God. And we can see this with David's words for Goliath. Verses 45 through 47, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David's upset, but in a good way. This is righteous indignation here. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp, uh, of, the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all his assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So David's got some strong words from Goliath, but they are words from God. God is going to deliver them uh, to the Israelites. God's going to win this battle for them. David's merely just the instrument that God is using here. So then, after all of that, you know, and sometimes, again, when you're watching a boxing match or, or uh, an MMA fight or anything like that, you know, you have months and months and months of the trash talk, the lead-up time, and everything. And then the, the fight is usually, sometimes, you know, a lot of times, pretty short. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you get your money's worth when you're watching it, and it goes the, all the rounds. But sometimes there's a knockout in the first round. And then you're like, even if your guy wins, you're like, wow, it was all of that just for that little bit of time? That's what this whole chapter is. This whole chapter is the lead-up to the battle the battle is only four verses, okay? And so, uh, you know, I want to get my money's worth. <laughs> no, uh, but David obviously wins this fight. 
It says in 1 Samuel 17, uh, 48 through 51, it says, So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Remember, David said he was going to cut off his head. So therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. Now, just a moment here. Goliath didn't even get a chance to draw his sword before the battle was over. That's how quickly this was, this was over. David had to draw his sword out for his, from his sheath for him, right? Uh, David took his sword and cut off his head with it. So cut off his head with his own sword. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Some important things to notice here. David is so fearless here because he knows that God is on his side that immediately as the fight starts, David runs towards Goliath and throws a stone at him with the sling. That was a quick fight. That was a first round knockout, right? Now, after seeing that fight, you know, imagine, remember, we're on the sidelines here. We're watching our champion win. Now we can see our part in this story in verse 52. This is our part, right? When the, when the fight's over, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 52 says, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. That's our part in the fight. We arose and shouted. So when David wins, we go, yeah, I won. And pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of the Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shareem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And so after David's already won and they're all fleeing, then the army of Israel runs in to finish the job, right? Uh, it's easy to fight when the battle's already been won. That's what happened here. That's our part. We, we jump into the battle after it's already been won. So what does this whole passage have to do with God fighting our battles? You know, we got, I got that... Uh, God fought the battle for Israel. Well, Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our champion. You know, the giant, the Goliath that is standing over everyone. Remember, this is about one giant. This is not about our own individual giants in our lives. This is about the one giant, this Goliath standing over everyone is sin. That's the battle that Jesus fought for us. 
Sin brings slavery and death, just like Goliath brought. But Jesus, he defeated death. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and of death. And then Hebrews 2.14 says something pretty similar. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus also took our sin. 1 Peter 2.24, it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Are you getting the parallels here between David versus Goliath and Jesus versus the battle of sin and death? Jesus is also our champion. He goes before us. He's not a leader that leads from behind us. He goes and fights our battles for us. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. That means Jesus is speaking on our behalf with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters in the presence behind the veil. Listen to this. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. It says Jesus is the forerunner there. You know what a forerunner is? It's a boat that goes out to put an anchor out on the beach when uh, there's a storm coming. So they, when there's a storm coming, these big boats couldn't get into harbor. And so they had to just stay out in the ocean. And so no matter how rocky that storm is, uh, they would send this little boat uh, to the shore to bring that anchor there. And so no matter how bad things get, that anchor is anchored in the shoreline. So what Jesus does for us is he is that forerunner that brought that anchor into heaven. And so if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you are anchored in heaven no matter how bad things get. He goes before us. In conclusion this morning as the pianist and song leader come, we need to look to our champion today for salvation. In the passage today, I made a point of saying that David was sent by his father, Jesse. Well, guess what? Jesus was also sent by his father. John 3, 16, uh, verses through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what you need to do this morning if you're not saved, look at your champion, Jesus, who already fought that battle against sin, sent by his Father to do so. All you have to do is believe in him and repent of your sins. And then you have that anchor in heaven. Then you are attached, and no matter how bad things get, you have assurance knowing that that's where you're going and knowing that you can be with him for eternity. He's our forerunner. He's our champion. Turn to him this morning.